You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. You go to a neighbor, I go to the, uh, to the Hamawis, say, we, uh, is it okay, could you lend us uh, a dozen eggs? And we all understand that lend a dozen eggs means that we're going to use a dozen eggs, and then we're going to buy a new dozen eggs for them and go ahead and repay them. Okay, something which probably happens uh, all over the world on a regular basis. Now, the problem is, is that as we're cracking open eggs, so let's say one or two of those eggs turns out to have a blood spot, rendering that egg not usable. So now this is going to raise a number of issues. And the, the issues are going to be, number one, as we're, as we're, actually, the, the main issue is, so when I go ahead and I repay, so let's say it turns out that there was 11 good eggs and one blood-spotted egg. So when I go ahead and I repay the Hamawis for the, uh, the eggs, so how many eggs do I repay them? Do I repay them 12, which is the number of eggs that they gave me, or do, do I repay only 11, which is ultimately the number of usable eggs which I received? And this is something, as you're going to see, touches upon a number of different halachas, both related to Choshe Mishpat as well as related to Yerodeah. So let's see uh, some of the issues which are, uh, which are involved. So the first thing is, the first set of uh, sources over here, they're all under number one because it's from one simon. So it has to do with the bowering of the eggs issue. In other words, as we're going to see now, was the original uh, arrangement, the original uh, agreement between the Shafels and the Hamawis to borrow a dozen eggs and repay a dozen eggs, is that something which is allowed or is that something which is not allowed? So here, Shochanach says, this is Yeridea, Simen Kuf Samach Beis. So in the midst or towards the beginning of the halachas of, uh, of, of Ribis. It says, So it's prohibited to go ahead and uh, borrow one bushel for another bushel. A bushel of wheat for a bushel of wheat, a bushel of apples for a bushel of apples. A few low cuts of Lozman Lepiron, even if we didn't agree when I borrowed the bushel of apples or the, the bushel of peppers from Mel, so even if it turns out that, good evening, Mel, even if it turns out that we didn't set a date when I have to repay him that bushel of apples, it's still going to be Aser. The Chen Koldavar, and this is going to be true, as we're going to see, of any commodity whatsoever, that if I borrow a certain quantity, not a value, but a certain quantity of that uh, product, of that commodity, and I'm going to pay back that same thing, it's always going to be Aser. Except for when you borrow silver coins, which are currency. So this, what we call, I'll highlight over here for you, what we call a loan of sa So this loan of sa refers to borrowing a commodity to repay that same commodity. Why is it going to be Yasser? Why can't I borrow a bushel of apples to repay you a bushel of apples? A bushel is a bushel. So why is, that, why is that going to be problematic? So the people who are, have been around since we were doing ribis, so hopefully this sounds vaguely familiar. So the concern is, the Shema Yisiyakru, the Nimtza, because maybe when I borrowed the bushel of apples, the bushel of apples cost $10 a bushel, 
And then when I get around to paying you back a bushel of apples, they'll be worth $12 a bushel. So even though it was a bushel for a bushel, but when you go ahead and you quantify that in terms of value, I, it turns out that I borrowed a $10 item and I paid you back with the $12 item. So you're getting more bang for your buck and that resembles, it smells like, it looks like ribis. And therefore, since it's a, it can be confusing to people, Chazal said, you're not allowed to engage in such loans. This is a loan of commodity, saw, besaw, and as a general rule, it's going to be usher. Now, there are three major, so, so therefore, seemingly, when I go ahead to the, Hama, to the Hamawis, I say, can I borrow a dozen eggs? And I'll pay you back a dozen eggs. We run into a problem because I'm borrowing a commodity of eggs with the intention to pay back that same commodity of eggs. And Shulchan Aruch says that such an arrangement, such an agreement is usher because of sa'a Okay. Now, there are three uh, notable exceptions to this rule. Circumstances where the prohibition of sa'a does not apply. So the first one is you find in the Ramah over there, in that same Sif, Sif Aleph over there in Kuf Samach Beis. So the Ramah brings down, Yesh Misha Omer. There are those who say, I could go ahead and I could borrow a loaf of bread to pay you back a loaf of bread. And that's going to be allowed the same way I'm allowed to borrow a silver dollar to pay you back a silver dollar. Why, why is this allowed? Why, is it, why aren't we afraid of the fluctuation of price? So explains the Ramah, because being that whatever fluctuation in value there's going to be between one loaf of bread and another loaf of bread, so that difference is something which is minor. It's not, we're not talking about, you know, hundreds of dollars or tens of dollars or even dollars. The difference is going to be some, which is going to be minute. And therefore, people are mocked on such a thing. Whether the loaf of bread costs one thirty nine, it costs one fifty nine. Nobody really cares. And skipping the parentheses, and the Ramah says, and the minig is to be makel on such things where the quantity or the value of the commodity which is being borrowed and paid back is something which is minor. So for such things, so we don't really care, and therefore you can be lenient as far as uh, as far as far as that. So that is leniency number one. Number two, let's say I have eggs in the, in the refrigerator. So it's not as if I'm all out of eggs. It's not as if the cupboard is bare. I actually have some eggs. I just am making uh, many eggs. I'm making uh, you know, omelets for the, uh, for the kids. So if I'm making omelets for the kids and I have some eggs which I was going to be using for, uh, for making challah, so uh, as long as as long as I, the borrower, possess, own some of that commodity, even if the commodity is behind a locked cabinet, and I don't have the key right now to be able to access it, somebody who's uh, out uh, has the, uh, the, the keys, so I can't get to it now, but it doesn't really make a difference. As long as I own it, so as long as I have some eggs, I could have one egg in the refrigerator. As long as I have one egg, I could borrow many dozens of eggs to pay you back dozens of eggs. Because once I have an egg, so that means I could theoretically borrow an egg and pay you back from what I already have. And I could do that multiple, multiple times. 
so that one egg, which I have in my refrigerator, can can cover the the uh, the number of eggs which I borrow, regardless of how much they are. The example that I would give for uh, for something like this is if I want to go ahead and I have um, ten thousand miles, and I need to go ahead and borrow hundred thousand miles in order to uh, in order to buy a couple of tickets to Israel, and I plan on making a certain you know uh, a credit card spend where I'm going to get from the credit card company 100,000 miles. I just don't have that many yet, but I'm going to have them soon. So as long as I have some miles already in my account, so I can borrow many, many miles from you, and that's not going to be a violation of sabisa, even though, as we're going to see, the value of, uh, of miles may, may fluctuate dramatically, but as long as I have some miles in my account, I can borrow as many as I want. That's what we call yeshlo. That's the, the heter, which is called yeshlo, where as long as you have, that's this phrase over here, yeshlo, as long as I have some of that commodity in my possession, so that also is going to avoid the restriction of sabisa. Siv Gimel. Would, would it have to be the same identical uh, item in every respect? For example, could it be... Uh, Brown eggs versus white eggs, or uh, Granny Smith versus Red Delicious. Right. So, that, so then it get, it starts to get a little bit more difficult in terms of whether we consider them to be the same thing, just with different tastes, or we consider them to be different. You know, large eggs versus medium eggs, or large yeah. eggs versus extra large eggs. You know, uh, uh, brand name Coke versus generic Coke. You know, those things become a little bit difficult to uh, to quantify. Are people mockbit on such things? Are people not mockbit on such things? The so, actual the actual reason I'm asking that is because it sounds like the mechan the whole mechanism of short selling stocks. Where right. you, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That uh, that would uh, that uh, yes, uh, that, that, that that's a potential issue as well. Correct. Now, Siv Gimel, Hayel also mean Shar Bashuk. So let's say the quantity which you're borrowing has a fixed value in the marketplace, not like miles, which fluctuates, but you have something which has a pretty fixed range of a price. So kavua, kavua name, and it's something which is fixed, and everybody knows that's how much it costs. So in such a case, you could go ahead and borrow, let's say, a gallon of milk. So a gallon of chavisol milk is going to have a pretty fixed price, doesn't go on sale very often. Uh, it has a pretty fixed price. So even if I don't actually have any, any milk in my refrigerator, since everybody knows that this is how much a gallon of milk costs, so I could go ahead and I could borrow a gallon of milk to pay back a gallon of milk because that's something which we're not afraid of uh, the fluctuation because if I wanted, I could go ahead and I could, I could purchase that gallon of milk right away. I could just run to the store and purchase it if I needed to at that fixed price. And therefore, in such a case with a fixed price, we're not worried about the fluctuations. Okay, so with regards to the, the initial loan, where I borrowed a dozen eggs uh, uh, from Hamawi, so seemingly, first of all, it's a small amount that qualifies for heter number one. Number two, in the event that I have any of those eggs, so that also is a way to avoid sabisa, uh, which whether I have eggs or not, that will, uh, that will affect that. And then the third thing is that if there's a fixed price, 
So eggs generally have a fixed price. They may go on sale, but they have a fixed price up for that uh, for that day. And then also is a reason why, in most instances, borrowing a dozen eggs to repay a dozen eggs is not going to be a problem of saw bisa. So we've avoided any yordah issues. So we're good to go as far as that. Now, what happens with the fact that I borrowed a dozen eggs and I only received 11 usable eggs? One of them was not usable. So here, this brings us now into Chosha Mishpat. We're going to swing back around to, uh, to, uh, to Ribbis later on. But over here we say, uh, this is in Simon Reish Lamed Beis. So I go ahead and I sell you a thing. Whatever that thing is, is irrelevant. But I sell you a thing. And then after I make the purchase, we discover a blemish or a defect. Something is wrong with the item which I purchased. So I have the right, when I discuss, as soon as I discover that there's this defect, I have the right to come back to you, the seller, even if it's many years later, and say, hey, you sold me a dud, you sold me uh, something which is uh, defective, because, and that was never the agreement, because selling me something which is defective, selling me something which is blemished, that by definition is a mekachtos, that is a sale which was done under false pretenses, and such a sale is not going to be binding, and I, the customer, have the right to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and return it. Because, what's the reason why this is so? So in Siv Zayin, Shochanach says, because the basic assumption is this isn't even something that the, the customer, the buyer has to stipulate. It's automatically assumed that if you end up with something defective, that you have the right to return it for a full refund. Why? Because the assumption of every customer is this item which I'm purchasing is blemish-free. It's not defective in any way. It doesn't have a blemish in any way. If you buy something which is used already, so then you know it's used, you're not expecting it to be blemish-free. Buy something on eBay, uh, you know, from a private seller, so you already know what you're getting yourself, uh, you're getting yourself into. When you're buying something uh, um, from the store, uh, the, which is packaged as new, the assumption is it does not have a defect or a blemish, and therefore, if it just turns out that my expectation was not met, so the customer has the right to go ahead and say, listen, this is not what I bargained for, this is not what I agreed to purchase, and I want a refund. Now, the critical question is, what's the definition of a defect? At what point is something considered to be defective and you have the right to return it? At what time do we say, you know what, you have nothing is perfect in this world other than God, and what were you expecting? You were expecting something which, uh, you know, was absolutely uh, perfect, uh, uh, completely perfect? Come on, that's, uh, that's impossible. So what's the definition of defective? So this is now defined in Sif Vav. Sif Vav, we say, it's a very, very logical uh, uh, definition. Anything, any defect or blemish, which the general population will agree is a blemish, and which would be grounds to go ahead and return this thing. It's a, it, it, it's a sufficient defect or a sufficient blemish that most people would go back to the seller and say, hey, you sold me something which is defective, you sold me something which is blemish. So something which meets that criteria, machzirin. 
So you go back and you're going to go ahead and you're going to uh, return it. The last two times we went to Baltimore now, rather than doing a car rental, we did uh, what's called car sharing, a company called Avail, where people go ahead and they put their, they make their privately owned car available, ava- essentially available to, uh, to rent via this, uh, this company. So it's, uh, it's cheaper than a regular car, uh, car rental company by, uh, you, know, uh, you know, 15, 20% or something uh, cheaper. But the problem is, is you're getting a privately owned car. And so far, both of the cars that we have have an odor, which uh, my wife and I do not recognize. I think some of my sons may recognize. I'm not saying exactly what it was that was going on in that car, but as soon as we walked in, you give that sniff, you say, um, this is not a smoke-free car. I don't know what they're smoking, but this is not a smoke-free car. Now, we may be able to go back and complain about it. Um, probably what they'll do is they'll just spritz it, and then the uh, the deodorizer smells worse than the, the other smell, but something like that, neither time did we go back and try and um, uh, uh, return it because of the, the smell. So it's not something which we wanted, but it's not something which is worth making a fuss over, because by the time we get there, we want to get to our destination or whatever, and it's just not worth making a fuss over. So something where most people don't make a fuss over, so then you're not, that's not considered to be a defect as far as halacha is concerned. But on the other hand, the call anytime, welcome Ralph, anytime you have something which is, does not meet that criteria, so then, so then you cannot go ahead and complain and say, I want a refund, unless you specify that under no circumstances do I want something that, uh, that smells like smoke. So if you specify that, then you could go. But if we assume that most people aren't going to be so makbid, so then uh, then uh, you're going to, uh, um, uh, then it's not going to, it doesn't qualify as a blemish, and you cannot return it. And once again, the, re- the rationale is very logical. When a person engages in any sort of business transaction, He's relying on what's customary and what's common in that uh, in that industry in that type of uh, in that type of transaction. So therefore, if you rent a car, there, you know that there's going to be even if it's a regular from a regular rental company, there may be a little ding somewhere, there may be a little scratch on the bumper, and you don't care. Most renters don't care as long as they don't get blamed for it and get hit with a bill for it for something they didn't do. But to go ahead and rent a car which has a scratch or has a blemish. So for the most part, what do you care? It's just a rental car anyways. If you were buying that car, then you may go ahead and complain about the uh, the fact that there are scratches or there are little dings or dents. So something like that, where as long as you're not going to get paid for it, so that's not the type of blemish that could uh, 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 cancel the transaction, unless you go ahead and you specify that, listen, I want something which is completely blemish-free on this rental, and I refuse to take a rental that has any blemishes whatsoever. Okay. So now, seemingly, so now, seemingly, the issue of uh, the uh, uh, an egg which is not usable. So if I go ahead and I say I want to go, I want to borrow a dozen eggs. The assumption is I want a dozen usable eggs, and therefore, if one or maybe not, or maybe we'll say that any time you go ahead and you get yourself some eggs, everybody knows that there's going to be a risk that maybe some of them, one or two of them, may have a blood spot, rendering it unusable, and you accepted it uh, uh, with that uh, with that understanding. So it turns out, amazingly enough, that this issue of getting a bloody egg or an unusable egg is actually addressed explicitly by Shulchan Aruch. 
And here Shulchan Aruch says, Hamocher beitzim lechaveru v'nimtzum muzaros. If I go ahead and I sell you some eggs, and it turns out that they are muzarot. What does muzarot mean? Now, we, this would never, I mean, maybe if you get those organic eggs, maybe. But he says, perush, shehischel lehisavos bo tsuras efroch. You crack open the egg and you see that the beginning formation of a chick is inside of that egg. So that certainly is not going to make for a good omelet. A blood spot is something you may be able to ignore, pretend it's not there. But if it's already looking like a little chick, that already is, a, that is the definition of gross. And therefore the egg is not fit for consumption at all. So what's the halacha? Havi so Shulchan Aruch says that when you buy an egg, the expe- expectation is you're going to be able to use that egg. And if it turns out that it's not usable because there's a chick growing inside of it, or it turns out it's not usable because there's a blood spot, so mekach So Shulchan Aruch says that this is a sale which is mistaken. It's not a binding sale, and the customer has the right to uh, renege. Then, amazingly enough, though, Shulchan Aruch says, v'achshav lo Nowadays, however, this is not the minog. The minog is not to go ahead and to, uh, to cancel the sale. A fascinating halachic topic in and of itself. But here we have a concept that in Choshemish, but there's such a thing as common custom in commerce to override halachic principles. So although halacha would say that when you have a bloodied egg, that that was never, that was never what the, the customer wanted, and therefore the sale should be canceled, but if the minag is, is that you don't return, that customers don't return such eggs, that they accept that risk, and too bad, so sad. So then that becomes the, uh, the known risk which every customer takes, and you're not going to be able to get a refund for what turned out to be a bloodied egg. Okay, so that would seemingly mean that if we went with the Iker Hadin, so then I could go to Hamawi, the Hamawis, and I could say, listen, I wanted to borrow 12 eggs. You only loaned me 11 eggs, and therefore... Um, I only owe you 11 eggs because you didn't lend me what the, what I wanted. But based on the minig, the minig would seemingly indicate that this is not grounds for mekachtos, and therefore maybe I am considered to be a borrower of 12 eggs. And if I'm considered to be a borrower of 12 eggs, so the agreement was I'm going to repay 12 eggs. Maybe yes, maybe no. Now what's the story with this minig? So the story with this minig is the Chuvas van Hagos, he writes, and Rav Yashav says a similar type of thing elsewhere. He, he writes as follows. He says, whether or not you could demand a refund for that bloody egg depends on the supplier, whether it's a seller or whether it's a lender. So we're just going to say supplier. It depends on the supplier. What does that mean? If you go to a regular store, it could be Jewel, it could be Sarah's Tent, it could be a, a local makolet around the corner, but you go to a place and you, uh, you buy an egg. Uh, and then you go back into the store and say, listen, I opened up this egg, there's a blood spot in there, I want a refund or I want a, a replacement egg. So the chenveni can say to you, He says, listen, you are a stubborn individual and you are somebody who's very stingy, 
and you don't want to get caught having bought an egg which is not usable. But there's plenty of customers who come in and out of the store. It happens to them all the time. They buy a dozen eggs. It turns out that one or two of them is bloody. And they just throw it away and they move on. They never come back and ask for a refund. So why should I have to refund it to you? Because you're stuck up because you're so stingy and you can't stand the fact that you ended up with a bloody egg. Plenty of customers would have gone ahead and used that egg. And now I can't sell it to them because you cracked it open. So it's not something which everybody complains about. And therefore, Bekai Gavna, and in such a case where the person makes his living or sells it regularly, so in such a case, we would say the minog is, is that you have to pay for the egg, even though it turns out it's unusable because of the blood spot. But in the event that you borrow it from your neighbor, or let's say you even buy it from your neighbor for, for a dime, where if I hadn't found the blood spot, she would have found the blood spot. And had she found the blood spot, she would certainly throw away that egg and she wouldn't go ahead and use it. So in such a case where she would have thrown it away just the same. So if I find it and it turns out to be a blood spot, I'm not causing her a loss by my tossing it away because she herself would have tossed it. She herself would have tossed it. And therefore, since my tossing it doesn't cause a loss, I don't have to pay because you would have lost that money anyways. So he goes ahead and he differentiates, this gadol echa differentiates between whether or not the seller, the, the, the supplier, is somebody who could have otherwise passed off this egg to somebody else and made money off of it, or whether by tossing this, uh, discovering the bloodied egg, it doesn't cause a loss to the, to, the, uh, to the supplier anyways. Now he says, but what about what it says in Shulchan Aruch? So now he explains, Umasha kasav the the minag, the, what Shulchan Aruch says that the minag is that you always have to pay for the egg, even if it turns out to be bloody. So now explains of Sternbach, that's going to be limited to eggs which would have been sold in the market. They were available for sale because, as we said, the merchant says, I have plenty of customers who would have bought that and they, would ne- they never would have come back for a refund. They just tossed the egg. Shalzeh haminag l'shalim. So in such a case, the minig is to pay nonetheless. Because these eggs were going to be sold, the merchant was going to make money off of this, and people buy eggs sight unseen, obviously, because you can't see inside of the egg before you go ahead and you purchase it. But if you go to a neighbor to borrow an egg, or even if you go to the neighbor to purchase an egg, and what was she going to do with the egg, or he going to do with the egg? But he was going to go ahead and eat it, and it was not something which she was really going to sell anyways. And rather than eating it personally, she decides she's going to lend it to her friend, Lachila, for eating. So so if that borrowed egg is found to have a blood spot, now here's going to be a key phrase, says Rav Sternbach, Havikil Avanim. That's going to be comparable. I wanted to borrow an egg by you lending me an egg which has a blood spot which is not usable. So it's the equivalent of having given me some stones. I can't do much with stones either. But if I ask to borrow an egg and you loan me a stone, I don't owe you an egg for that. I don't owe you anything for that because I wanted to borrow an egg and you didn't give me a usable egg. And since you did not provide me with a usable egg, the loan never actually took place. And therefore, in that scenario, so I don't, uh, I don't have to pay you back. I don't owe you an egg, 
even though you loaned me an egg, if it turns out that that egg is bloody. Okay, so that is, so that's going to be the basic halacha if we were talking about a single egg. If we're talking about a single egg, so that's going to be the halacha that if I, according to Rav Sturmach, if I borrowed an egg from you and it turns out that that's bloody, I don't owe you, uh, I don't owe you anything. Okay, now let's assume that, that, that that's true and this is uh, something which is universally held, which for the most part is, uh, would, would, would likely be universally held. Now the problem over here is when I went ahead and I borrowed the dozen eggs from, we'll say, we'll pick on Bob tonight. Thank you, Bob. So when I went ahead and I borrowed the 12 eggs from Bob, so I don't want to go ahead and tell Bob, listen, you gave me 12 eggs, but one of them turned out to be bloody. Because I don't want to, you know, uh, I, I don't want to make him feel bad. I don't want to be embarrassed as somebody who's stingy. I just don't want to have that conversation with him and, uh, and, uh, 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 and bring up the fact that one of the eggs which he loaned me was bloody. He may go ask me for proof. He'll want me to go searching, sifting around in the garbage can to see if I can find the egg to prove to him that it was bloody. I just don't want to have the conversation. So I'd rather go ahead and pay him back 12 eggs, even though he only owed, loaned me what turned out to be 11 eggs. But, so we got to take out your thumb for the kasha. But if it turns out that he effectively owed, uh, loaned me 11 eggs, and I pay him back 12 eggs, now we swing back around to ribis. Because I'm paying back more than I borrowed. If I only borrowed 11, and I'm paying back 12, so this is, would be a classic case of a, a, of a problem of ribis. So now we started with ribis, we went off to Chosha Mishpat, and now it swings itself back around to ribis once again. So this is a shayla you have over here, where it says, this is from the Chashuke Chemed, these are collections of, of uh, interesting questions that Rev. Zilberstein from Bnei Brak uh, addressed. They're put in the order of, da, of, uh, of Shas. So this is coming out of Masechus Bab Metziah. So it says, She'ela, we'll pick it up right over here. Ruvain shal beitzim Shimon. Ruvain borrowed an egg from Shimon. And he cracks open the egg, and alas, there's a, a, a blood spot. The customer of the Ramah writes, the, the Ramah says that nowadays a minog is that we throw away the entire egg when you find a blood spot. Technically, you could just discard the blood spot and the rest of the egg is usable. For our eggs, that would be, which where there's no chance that they were fertilized. But the minog is, is we throw away the whole egg anyways. And, and therefore, Ruvain went ahead, following the Ramah, he went ahead and threw away the egg. Now the question is, does Ruvain owe Shimon an egg for the egg which he borrowed? Oshem, or perhaps we'll say, maybe since Shimon himself would have had to discard the egg just the same, because it had the same blood spot, so he would be exempt. Okay, so the Ramah, so the, the sorry, Rav Zilberstein goes through some analysis of some of the issues which we, which we talked about. And now, towards the end of his shuvi, says, "Masha'ein kein kasher abetzo medes lishimusho haprotishal shimon." Now, like Rav Sturbach talked about, if we're talking about over here, not between a merchant and a customer, we're talking between neighbors, between the shafels and the hamawis. And had the shafels not borrowed this egg, the hamawis would have used it themselves. So it's, that's what he says. The eno medesimachira. This egg was not going to be sold. It was not on the market by the hamawis that they didn't set up that there's cold drinks on the corner and there's uh, raw eggs 
uh, you know, not quite on the corner. That was not uh, what was going on over here. They were not uh, that. Uh, uh, they were not that uh, adventurous. The kids. So So it's in that case that we say that Reuven is going to be exempt from having to pay Shimon. Because Ruvain is going to say to Shimon, listen, by my opening up this egg and discarding it, I didn't cause you a loss. Because you couldn't use this egg either. Just like I can't use that egg, you can't use that egg. Therefore, it's an unusable egg. And by my discarding it, I did not cause you a loss. And therefore, I don't owe you anything. You also would have had to go ahead and discard this egg into the garbage. And therefore, I don't owe you anything. And being that we're not talking about a merchant who sells eggs, but we're talking about an agreement between two neighbors, and the egg was never for sale. So the minug, which is mentioned in Shulchan Aruch, that you have to pay for the egg, even if it turns out to be bloody, that minug is limited to merchants. It does not include private individuals. And therefore, whenever the agreement is between two private individuals, Ruvain and Shimon, or the Shaffles and the Hamawis. So in such a case, there's no minute to go ahead and pay for an egg, which turns out to be unusable. And now he says, therefore, So he agrees that Ruvain is going to be exempt from having to pay Shimon. And as a result of that, it is going to be, it, it, it raises uh, an issue of, uh, of ribis. Because now it turns out when the, when the context is no longer one egg for one egg, but when it turns out to be 12 eggs, what we thought were 12 eggs, but turn out to be only 11 eggs. So now you seemingly are going to have a ribis problem on your hands, which needs to be addressed. So how are we going to get out of the ribis problem? Thank you for asking. So <laughs> the bris Yehuda, uh, is the author is Rav Yaakov Bloy. He is in Choshemish, but he's known as the Pischei Choshen. Um, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Ribis, he's known as the Bris Yehuda. He, uh, he was an a, a amazing uh, halachist. He worked as a banker for most of his life. He, was a, he worked in a, in a bank, but he was somebody who just had an unbelievable um, uh, grasp of halacha, and he wrote uh, a, a lot. He wrote uh, a ton. Both of uh, works both his work on ribis as well as his work, he has one on Sadako also, uh, but his work on ribis and his work on Chosha Mishpat are considered to be unbelievably authoritative in terms of uh, uh, addressing modern Shilas. He died, um, I don't remember how many years ago, when we went here to Israel to get smicha, to get a Chosha Mishpat smicha, he was still alive. So it's not that, uh, it's not that long ago that, uh, that, he, that, that he died. Okay, so he writes his files. He says, Agav Nira, Shim Lava Beitz of Badam. If you borrowed an egg and it turns out to be bloody, even though when he says Mamanis, we're going to interpret that to mean, even though in Chosha Mishpat, like we just saw, it may be that you do not have to go ahead and uh, repay the lender the, uh, for an egg which uh, turned out to be bloody. Shahare Eno Shavaklum because the egg isn't worth anything to anybody, because both the lender and the borrower have the same obligation to conform with the Ramah, which says we throw away the egg. Mikom Makom, skipping the parentheses, 
Let's say the borrower doesn't want to say anything to the lender that, hey, that egg that you loaned me turned out to have a blood spot in it and I wasn't able to use it. And you're going to go ahead and you're going to repay the lender with an egg, an egg for an egg. So nearish the Bris Yehuda says, and he's, he's addressing this in the context of Ribis, he says it's not usher to go ahead and repay the lender for an egg which turned out to be bloody, even though you're not obligated to pay him at all. He says, there's no iser. He says, on top of which, which is an interesting chapi, it says, he says, the whole, the whole shaila would arise, I borrowed 11 eggs and I'm paying you back 12 eggs. Now, how do we know when I give you back a dozen eggs that, you're, that I'm giving back to you 12 usable eggs? Maybe when I give it back, one of those eggs, which I return to you, is also bloody. Maybe two of them are bloody. We don't know. So really, it's a closed container of 12 eggs for a closed container of 12 eggs. And that's the agreement. That's what the loan is. And that's what the, uh, the, the payback is. And nobody said it's 12 usable eggs for 12 usable eggs. So it turns out it's a closed container for a closed container. And therefore, just like it turns out, I got too bad, so sad on me that one of the eggs uh, turned out to be bloody. Maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe it'll be unlucky for you. Maybe the eggs I give to you will be, three of them will be bloody and you won't be able to use them. That certainly is not ribbis. Vi'im, that's what now he explains the next paragraph. Vim lava tavnis beitzin. As long as, if I go ahead and I borrow from you a container of eggs, what we would call in the States, a dozen eggs, vinim sebechamehem dam, and one of them turned out to be bloody, pashat shemutul hachzer tavnit beitzin. It's pashat, he says. It's not, for him, it's not even a shayla. Other people ask the child, that's why he's addressing it. But he says, as far as his perspective is concerned, he's absolutely certain that there's no issue at all to go ahead and repay a dozen eggs. Even though it is possible that in the dozen eggs, which I go ahead and I give to you, or I give to the Hamawis, it may turn out to be that all 12 of them are actually usable eggs. So from that perspective, it turns out I only received 11 usable eggs and I repaid 12 usable eggs. But still, he says, as far as this is concerned, this is where it's going to be different between one egg and one egg. He says that when it's a dozen for a dozen, when it's a container of eggs for a container of eggs, so he says it may even be as far as Choshem Mishpat is concerned that you have, that you're obligated to go ahead and repay. Because when I buy, buy, buy that, the, the value of a dozen eggs is, I don't know, 259. So 259, when you with 259 for a dozen eggs, that's going to be true regardless of whether all 12 of them are usable, 11 of them are usable, or 10 of them are usable. It's the same value of eggs is a dozen eggs is 259, regardless of what you end up in, what, like we say to the kids, whatever you get, you get, don't be upset. So therefore, we're going to say that, listen, dude, that's what happens when you buy a dozen eggs, is you're going to be stuck with whatever those dozen eggs happen to be, whether usable or whether bloody. And therefore, the same thing is going to be true between, uh, between neighbors who go ahead and lend and borrow the eggs of one, the, to, to one another. That if it turns out that one of them is no good, so if Bloy is of the opinion, the Brisky Hood is of the opinion, that there's absolutely no issue to go ahead and repay another dozen eggs, even though it may turn out that I borrowed 11 and I'm repaying 12. 
But since it's all in a closed container and everybody knows that that's the nature of a closed container is you may get one or two which, uh, which are potentially bloody. And that's understood within the, the parameters of that transaction that some of them may be no good. So therefore he's of the opinion that it's not, we're not going to run into a ribus problem at this end of the transaction either. And if you want to avoid, if you don't want to, so you can, you, you can say to a person, listen, only 11 of them were usable and I only want to pay you back 11. But it's not going to be problematic to go ahead and pay 12. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be ribbons in the event that you don't want to have that conversation with the lender. Okay, good. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.